0: This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing. I'm Mitzi Rabkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. First Draft is now in its seventh year and recently lost its funding. So I'm turning to you, my listeners, and asking for your support to keep this podcast going. So far, nearly 250 authors have been featured on First Draft talking about their work and their craft. It takes time and money to produce this podcast, to purchase the software, host the audio, and create the show. At patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters, you can provide much-needed support for the show that makes a difference in keeping it on the air. I want to tell you I strongly believe that having these conversations is not just an insightful look into our literary landscape, but they are acts of empathy every time we dive into a writer's work, because at the end of the day, what we're talking about is what it means to be alive here and now in the world we all share. I believe dialogue is what we often lack in many realms of our society, and I hope in some way this podcast is contributing to the conversation. So consider that your donation supports over three hours a month of deep conversation about craft and literature and what it means to reflect on our human experience. Please take a stake in these conversations by supporting their creation there are various levels of support, and each one comes with extras like cuts that didn't make it into the show, writing tips, and even books. The first tier is just $6 a month. So please take a minute to go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters, that's patreo dot com slash firstdraftwriters, and please contribute to what we are creating together. I couldn't do it without you. And also, please rate the show on iTunes and tell at least one friend to subscribe. Thank you so much. My guest is Peg Alford Purcell, author of Show Her a Flower, a Bird, a Shadow, and a Girl Goes into the Forest. She is also the founder and director of WTAW Press and Why There Are Words, a national literary series and program of WTAW Press. She lives in Northern California. Her short story collection, A Girl Goes Into the Forest, is a mixture of flash fiction and more traditional-length stories, all of which conjure a mood of instability and mystery, not unlike a collection of fairy tales. The 78 stories in the book focus on the complexities of being female in the world and the challenges of female roles, whether they're mothers, daughters, siblings, wives, nieces, or friends. Peg Alfred Purcell takes the reader into the metaphorical and literal forest in these stories as the characters reckon with the world and the people that surround them. Filled with longing and sorrow, a girl goes into the forest, looks at our culture through a female lens. We began the discussion with Peg Alfred Purcell talking about the title.
1: Interestingly, as you know, there was a story that opens the book, A Girl Goes Into the Forest, but I didn't begin there in writing this particular book, this collection, that story came somewhat later in the process. And, you know, the story and then the title came to me at um, a certain point where I I don't know how or why, but it reminded me of those kinds of jokes, you know, a dog walks into the bar, and there was something about it that a kind of, um, you know, a kind of playfulness or lightness that I really liked. And so when it came to me, I just, I really couldn't let it go. You know, sometimes you come up with a title and it's just, it's just a way to get the thing going. And, you know, later you realize you need a different title entirely, or it was just a, you know, a springboard or something. But in this case, even though I questioned that idea or that thought, well, maybe, you know, this is just a, was a kind of a springboard. It, I couldn't let go of it. I couldn't let go of the story. It just had a sense of, of rightness and um, just that kind of implied. Even if people are not really aware of it, uh, sounding like that kind of joke. I think it's still like an internalized. It, it may be there in an internalized way. And so I really like that bit of you know lightness. I guess that's associated with joke telling you know, to the, the darkness. It's a juxtaposition, I think, with the darkness that's implicit in the idea of a girl uh, going into the forest.
0: There is a very magical fairy tale-like feeling to a lot of these stories, and I'm wondering how fairy tales interest you, not just the structure, but also... Maybe sort of the idea of, of mystery and darkness and danger.
1: Yeah, well, I think you are encapsulating um, what does fascinate me about you know fairy tales um, in a in a very general sense that the the mystery, the darkness. You know, I, I I really write from a place that of you know I want I want the mystery. I want to. Be going into the forest myself when I write. I don't really necessarily want to know at all where I'm going. I really need that mystery. And so I like um, the idea that, you know, and thank you that, um, that there is a sense of, of mystery to these stories, because that is what also appeals to me so much about, you know, the lore and the, the fables and the fairy tales from from long ago you know I think that as a child I you know was an early reader and I read a lot of um, of you know fairy tales that's what that's you know pretty much what was around to read Um, and so I think there's some part of that that was internalized for me Um, so it probably just is you know a big a big uh, kind of brew or a big kind of mix here when um, I started working on this book.
0: A lot of these stories do have young women in peril. And I'm wondering kind of what what was consuming your mind? I know you didn't set out to necessarily write a collection when you wrote these individual pieces, but sometimes our mind is working in in a fluid way that we don't even recognize, and so I'm wondering, what was kind of haunting you, or what were you thinking about, or working out on the page? Yeah, you
1: know, I think you're, I think you're very right. I think that our our, our minds are working in ways that we're not always at all um, quite conscious of, and you know, for that, I'm, I'm, I as I said, I'm grateful when it comes to writing. I don't, you know, I really am one of these people who. Uh, "Write right to discover, you know, I mean, I know it's practically a cliche, but I am somebody who uh, does write to figure out what I'm really uh, thinking about. But when I started writing the stories for this book, as you sort of got at, I, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where any of this was going to go. And it was just after a certain point that I started to understand that I was kind of writing through a sense of loss, I, I will put it, you know, a sense of loss at that time. And, you know, once I decided that that's what was going on, I just sort of decided to, and I use the word decided very lightly, because so much of this is not really you know, really conscious, like sitting down and making decisions, but um, as you do in revision or or later in in, um, in the process of putting a book together. But I, you know, felt that I would just let myself um, go there and just see what came up. You know, it was sort of the thought was sort of like, well, I seem to be really writing about this, at least even metaphorically, you know, losses that, uh, you know, when a girl goes into the forest, that metaphoric, metaphorical forest, there are um, there are losses and there are also, you know, transformations, I think of it, transitions in life. And I decided to just, you know, really see what I really thought about that, thought and felt about it by just, you know, putting it all out on the page. And, you know, that was very anxiety producing, but also liberating at the same time. And I think it, you know, it was, I I think I was able to do that because I was also promising myself, well, you just put this all out there. It's not as if anybody ever has to see it, whatever, whatever comes up. But you know it is an exploratory process for me to find out what do i really think and feel about about these sorts of transitions in life and by that i just mean you know what what takes place inevitably as a result of living our lives you know our our parents grow old they become you know sick relationships can strain and break and transformed, our children grow, they're just these sort of, with each of these kinds of transitions and changes, there are inevitably, there are losses, loss is part of it, so I think that's kind of what was happening, and at the same time, you know, I feel like there are, the, the political landscape was certainly part of that for me, it, it, it's just, I don't think it's possible to really, or at least not for me, it's really not possible to write without being affected by the world in which I live. I'm not, I don't, I don't write separately uh, from that. And I just, you know, felt so like there are so many losses that are just becoming really obvious and are, are really piling up. So I think that is also part of like what may be, what may be felt to, you know, for readers, I really don't know, you know, these are my, these are
0: my theories. A lot of your (laughs) stories involve mother-daughter relationships. It might be mothers who lose daughters or daughters who lose mothers. It can be out of estrangement. It can be from death. I wonder if there's a specific story you might want to talk about, or if, if you want to just talk about that notion like what what fascinates you about that
1: you know obviously i'm a daughter
0: of of a mother and
1: i have a daughter and it's particularly at this time in our culture there seems to be so much that's really what can i say it's just affecting me very deeply and looking at what a difficult Path women still have girls and women still have you know how far we have not come is just how I um, feel about it and I think about it and so there are so many ways in which the 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 systems in which we live in are not are not healthy and. Uh, create so much damage for really um, generations of women and uh, that's very you know that's very much on my mind and there's uh, like some inevitable things that that we do you know which I try to get at as in in entering the forest is you know that we have certain kinds of agency though we don't particularly have everything that we need maybe to to be equipped. I think there are just these sort of huge difficulties yet for women in um, using their agency. So, uh, you know, I think I get at or I'm trying to, you know, that's one of the concerns in the book. I'll I'll just put it that way.
0: Well, one of the things you, you say in the book is relationships fall apart at the drop of a hat. I think what's interesting about the fragility of, of relationships that can fall apart, and it's I think it's really good for fiction as well as real life, is that when maybe one person in the relationship doesn't know that their relationship is troubled, because I noticed there was, at least in one story, like a mother who I think most of her relationship with her daughter was on the phone. They didn't live in the same place. And I don't think the mother exactly knew that their relationship was troubled, but the daughter did. And I'm wondering if this mm-hmm. is if, if this is something that you think is necessary for fiction, or that fiction's just reflecting the life that you see. Yes,
1: I, you know, you you are absolutely right. I mean, one of the most important things that we can do in fiction is really show. Uh, two characters that are at odds, not necessarily in a you know overt way, but they're at odds in their own lack of connection, in their own interiority, and in what they may or may not think about the relationship or you know about one another. And um, I also think that how well do we really know one another is always an interesting question to me. So in that way you know, the fiction can reflect that, that question to me, you know, that interests me. But on its own, I think to create, you know, interesting stories, one, one very, you know, you have to have some conflict, there has to be some traumatic tension. And so while very small things can be happening, like the story that you talk about with the phone call, there's really not a lot, uh, a lot of action that's taking place in that story. It's really focused on the phone call. And so the conflict. And the I'll just call it the dramatic tension is really uh, what's propelling that story forward or what's interesting about it, let's say, is the fact that the two characters really don't know the other's perspective on the relationship.
0: What do you try to aim for in these flash fiction stories? And I guess what I'm meaning is, creating that tension and conflict, is that a different experience than short stories and novels? Because some of your stories are a paragraph long. And how do you approach flash fiction from a craft point of view? What are you trying to accomplish and what do you think it needs to be successful?
1: Those are really great questions. I think one of the most important things is, you know, when you're working with flash fiction or, you know, these hybrids are very very, very short pieces. The compression, you're just working, you know, you're really compressing so much into a very short space, you know, on the page. And that process alone drives so much tension. And I think it's crucial to really understand that, you know, longer story, you know, something that's more, you know, of traditional length, you're really teasing out these compressions that has a whole other sort of set of ways that that you have to work with that so as not to lose lose the reader's attention. You know, I never, I I don't really know what form something that I'm writing is going to take when I start writing it. It's almost as if the form itself kind of takes over the writing, and I you know I can't I can't necessarily write to form. I can't sit down and say, well, I would really like this to be a 20-page story. You know, it just doesn't work that way for me. You know, I think it's really in revision that I look at the difference between lengths of stories and decide, is this working or not as it is? And and kind of look at, look at the differences and how the movement through time and how much how, how do you really get that kind of t- um, tension that you get in a very short, compressed piece in something that, you know, goes over the space of many pages
0: instead? You laid out the structure of this book using some quotes from fairy tales. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you used and, and why you thought of that idea and, and what it means to you. The book is set up in nine sections
1: each, which is introduced, it has an epigraph, it's introduced from lines from one fairy tale, The Snow Queen. And it just so happened that when I knew that the book, as I was calling it, was finished, I was looking at how I wanted to structure it. There are 78 stories, but you know, as and as you pointed out, some very small and some some longer stories. And I uh, you know was sort of looking at okay what stays in, what goes out, what needs like another one or twelve revisions or whatever. How does this add up? How do I create a rhythm for the reader? You know, moving from one or two page stories to then a longer story and then back to another sequence of very short stories I was really concerned with the rhythm and you know I know that some of these very small stories are really intense and I feel that you know this is the feedback I've gotten and so I feel that the reader needs time to to sit with one or another of these intense stories before you know, it's not something that a reader can just necessarily flip through. So I was looking for a way to, you know, work with the rhythm and, you know, really try to structure it in a way, taking into all these considerations, looking at sort of the overarching themes. And at the same time, I was thinking about, you know, I was involved in thinking about something about fairy tales and looking for... In what fairy tales, you know, does the girl have agency and is not, you know, it's not um, one of these fairy tales where, you know, it needs to be rescued by the prince or or whatever. And that's how I came to and was thinking about the Snow Queen, because in, in this we have Little Gerda. So it's often rescues or uh, Little Kay, So... Because that was all in my mind, you know, the best the best way that I can say, you know, it seemed like there were echoes of of that fairy tale in in the stories or or vice versa. And, you know, once that just came to me that I could, you know, really look at at, at that story closer and make it work, you know, give it give it give another level or layer of of meaning, I guess, you uh, you know then that's what i set out to do so that's that's how that happened and that's how i think of it as working
0: one of the things i thought about when i was reading this was sort of the metaphor of all these women maybe being abused or in powerless situations or even when they had power, but something was done to them that they had no agency. I was thinking a lot about the earth. And and I think there's something about fairy tales that also, because they're set in the forest and there's a certain kind of mood and tone, I was thinking about that. And I was wondering if you were or if there's any, if you've heard anything about sort of an environmental read of this.
1: Yes, I have been thinking about it. And, you know, this goes back to the senses of loss, right? And this has to do with really what an environmental crisis we are in, um, our planet. And uh, I had been reading about why the Brothers Grimm and, and so on, why stories were set in the forests. And at that time, the forest was really communal land, communal property for everyone, and it was there for everyone to enjoy. So, you know, I, I mean, it's taken on a very dark idea Oh, you know, going into the woods and, you know, Little Red Riding Hood and so on. Um, you know, the real reality was that this was property or land that everyone that everyone shared. And so, you know... I'd been reading about that and thinking about it and, you know, also learned that, uh, you know, we are losing our, our forests all over the world as they once existed. And though there's a lot of efforts to reseed uh, trees and so on, they aren't the same trees, they aren't even the same Um, species. So, you know, it's a lot to think about. And, you know, again, it's another kind of loss all of its own, really.
0: Can you read a section from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer?
1: I would love to. I will read something from Virginia Woolf's last novel, The Years. There must be another life, she thought, sinking back into her chair, exasperated, not in dreams but here and now, in this room, with living people. She felt as if she were standing on the edge of a precipice with her hair blown back. She was about to grasp something that just evaded her. There must be another life here and now, she repeated. This is too short, too broken. We know nothing, even about ourselves. We're only just beginning, she thought, to understand here and now, She hollowed her hands in her lap, just as Rose had hollowed hers round her ears. She held her hands hollowed. She felt that she wanted to enclose the present moment, to make it stay, to fill it fuller and fuller with the past, the present, and the future, until it shone whole, bright, deep with understanding. Edward, she began, trying to attract his attention, but he was not listening to her. He was telling North some old college story. It's useless, she thought, opening her hands. It must drop. It must fall. And then, she thought, for her too, there would be the endless night, the endless dark. She looked ahead of her as though she saw opening in front of her a very long, dark tunnel. But thinking of the dark, something baffled her. In fact, it was growing light. The blinds were white.
0: Why did you choose that?
1: So I did use a line from this uh, for for the epigraph, for uh, the book, which was she felt as if she were standing on the edge of a precipice with her hair blown back. She was about to grasp something that just evaded her. That idea speaks uh, very strongly to me, but I also feel... I guess to put it most succinctly that, you know, the concerns of how we can live together, you know, Wolf's concerns are, the the characters are not, you know, focused on like a, any kind of an afterlife or a heaven, but really rather on how to live in this world with other people. And, you know, that is, I suppose, you know, my my overarching concern as well in this book.
0: Can you read something you wrote? Maybe it was tricky or hard to write or changed a lot from the first draft. I think I will just read the opening story because
1: it did take several drafts for me to really get it in the shape that I wanted. So this is A Girl Goes Into the Forest. Tentative, curious, uncertain, alive. She followed him into the woods, living in the direction where perhaps she imagined the rest of her life waited for her so ready for something to happen. The old secret cottage had fallen to the ground. He acted as if that surprise of the disintegrated shelter was inconsequential and spread a thin jacket over the dark forest floor. To lie down was harder than it looked to be, wasn't everything. A thick scent of pine needles, sour smell of mildewed ash, the moon rose, white and tiny smeared into the fork of a naked branch overhead. Wind-chattered like teeth through the trees, their trunks containing hundreds of years of memory. In this new dimension of light and shade, she lost track of who she'd been before, of the home in the town with cracked streets, concrete and glass, sun-scoured spires. Beside her, he said nothing. Atrocious on the tongue of the needful earth, she lay, thick, thirsting roots deep underneath. This was something for the body to feel. There's so much for a body to feel before it goes, returns to its simplest elements, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, sulfur. Full night must eventually come on. It's deeper chill. They might remain together. It might turn summer, and she'd have survived the season, or the earth might be soothed, some want eased. Tell me why you chose that. I thought it would be a good introduction, of course, to the book. But, you know, as you asked, you know, this, this was a piece that went through several revisions. It, you know, it came to me pretty easily. So it wasn't necessarily difficult in that way. It was one of those sort of stories that, you know, are little gifts, they just, they just seem to happen. But yet when I knew that I was going to open the book with it, you know, I lost count on how many revisions. And so it was, you know, one that, you know, disturbed me more than (laughs) more than more than the others. It seemed that it was going to carry so much weight for the book. And it just really kind of haunted me so that I kept reworking it until I, you know, could finally let it go. Where do you write? where do I write? Well, I normally I write in my, I have a space of a, a room in my, in my home and it even has a little standing desk, but I also am a member of the writer's grotto in San Francisco, which is a, a, a collaborative workspace. And I uh, go in there uh, once a week. I try to get in there at least once a week. So, um, so it's a mixture of both of those.
0: And what do you do or where do you go to get away from writing?
1: I, I think the easiest um, and, uh, you know, and sometimes I just really need easy is to um, walk. And so I'm, a, I'm a, you know, a big walker and, and, and hiker um, on the weekends. I, you know, there's so many beautiful places in Northern California to hike just wherever you go. So, but, you know, I like to just really, um, I live in a neighborhood that I really feel lucky to live in. And if something is really, if I'm really working, you know, hard on on something and it's just not coming, it's great to just be able to, you know, put on a pair of shoes and, and start walking around the neighborhood. Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? Well, so, I, so it just so happens that I'm married to the writer, um, Cass Purcell. We, we met at our MFA program years ago, and I think, you know, part of what, what really drew us to one another was one another's writing, and we, we read everything of one another's first.
0: How have you dealt with rejection?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think in the beginning, I think it was kind of difficult to, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I felt prepared for it. At all, you know, I had some kind of early um, successes that you know I didn't, I just didn't realize how lucky they were, and when, when that, um, when those, you know, were no longer, you know, just happening. And I started to get some rejections that felt surprising and strange. It was just something I had to, you know, I had to become accustomed to that I had to learn, you know, and I had to learn that it really just goes with the territory, which was something I, I didn't understand. Now, of course, I do understand that. And I realized that really, you know, if you're not receiving rejections, then you're really not putting any work out there you know you're not sending anything in so you know it's so it's just one of those things that that i that i just hold in the back of my mind that of course there are going to be rejections it's just it just goes with the territory
0: and what is your favorite word
1: oh favorite
0: word lark
1: lark as in um not just not the bird necessarily though i love birds of all kinds but lark is in you know a spree, you know, let's go on a lark, you know, it, it, there's something about the sound of that word that just seems to sort of fit what the, what the thing itself is, something, something fun, something out of the ordinary,
0: something playful. You've been listening to First Draft Dialogue on Writing. My guest was Peg Alford Purcell, author of the short story collection, A Girl Goes Into the Forest. You can follow First Draft on Facebook. Just look for First Draft Radio Show and click like and on Twitter at First Draft A-D-O-W. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. Please take a moment to support First Draft and contribute to keeping the program alive at patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. There are plenty of extras for becoming a member and your donations help to keep the dialogue going. I know you might be listening in your car or when you're on the run, but please consider coming back to your computer at some point and donating to First Draft. That's patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. And please rate the show on iTunes and invite a friend to listen. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting First Draft. I'm Mitzi Rapkin.